Hello, and welcome to our Parallel Paths, a future for my loved one with a disability and for me. My name is Gerilyn Arango Dealey, Jerry, and I'm your host for this podcast series about just what the title says, the parallel paths of family members, certainly parents, sometimes siblings as parents age or pass on, and their loved ones with intellectual disabilities. I'm a parent myself, and I have questions. On our parallel paths, we'll talk about creating a promising future for the child with an intellectual disability who becomes an adult, and a promising future for ourselves as our role as parent, family member, caregiver, whatever we want to, whoever we are, evolves alongside them. There's more than one path, more than one future to talk about, and that's why we're here. Some remarkable people will share their stories in upcoming episodes. I'll be listening with you, and I'll have some questions for our guests too. So I thought I'd launch the podcast with a little information about the podcast format, about myself, my family, and our story, and that I would then ask myself the questions I hope to ask future guests after they share their stories. Right, it's only fair, right? And I get to test drive my questions. How can I answer them, you know? I'm giving my future guests a list of topics that they can choose from to help them figure out what they want to share. And I'm going to pick what I talk about today from the same list of topics. I'm going to ask that my guests talk for yeah, 10 minutes or so on their chosen topic or topics before I ask them questions in the second 10 minutes. So let's see how that goes with me. I'd like to share, you know, about 10 minutes of my thoughts on something called the dignity of risk. Again, my name is Jerry. There are three or, or four of us living in my condo right now, depending on the day. When I purchased the condo in 2016, I was the two years widowed mother of Courtney, who was 21 at the time, and Nicholas, who was then 18. Nick has Down syndrome. Their dad, Al, passed away in 2014 after a short bout with a very aggressive form of cancer. I lost the only person with an equal interest and love for our children is someone who knew the system because of his own work in the field. And my kids lost their dad. So when I bought the condo, first of all, I thought of it as a way to escape our family house which had just become too sad for me, but also a purchase to finish out Nick's time in our school district that I could afford alone and stay in it for a couple of years. But over time, I started to think, well, this place could be perfect for Nick to live in with support someday without me. Our condo fee buys us a no-maintenance exterior, so I don't have to worry about the lawn or the trash or the recycling or the shoveling. Ha <laughs> ha, plus a pool. Love the pool. <laughs> but there was a lot going on in our lives before Nick living here with supports would go beyond like a, a thought or an idea and become a real focus. My daughter would move in several different directions before ultimately joining the Navy and moving to Norfolk in 2017, marrying in 2018, deploying to the Persian Gulf and becoming a mom in 2021. Nick had secured waiver funding early, unfortunately, because of behavior issues. 
So we had some staffing at home already. Nick also had behavior support at school, TSS, mobile therapist. He had the whole complement. At 18, Nick needed to finish high school and move through the 18 to 21 years trying out work experiences with the support of the district and our chosen agency. And it, it worked out pretty well. And Nick landed a part-time job at a children's gymnastics center, but only about six hours a week. He had staff about 12 hours a week, so it really didn't add up to a very full life. Then <laughs> the pandemic, enough said, no job, staffing compromised, but we were lucky to have some great folks who hung in with us. And we kind of created a, our own pandemic staffing bubble. So now me, I'm a professor of education emerita, retired in 2020. And I became a wife again. I was so blessed to become a wife again in 2017. You gotta know, not all men, I think, I think could walk into the life of a widow with two young adults, one with a disability still in the house and not want to quietly back out into the yard, back to his car. But Michael and I are, are five years and counting. So after almost 20 years in academia at a small college, 30 miles from home, Nick aged out of the IEP at 21. And he and I both lost the school day that gave me the freedom to do my job and gave him the hours of engagement that he built his life around. I realized that I was going to have to rethink what life would look like for me and for Nick. The good thing about 20 years at a university is that you accumulate a whole lot of sick days. I took paid family leave using those days um, because I was able to take care of Nick as, <laughs> get this, an adult son with a disability incapable of self-care. Hated that. Um, but it gave me time to do some soul searching. I, I knew that I hadn't been really happy at the college for a while. And I kind of pin it on the starting of my losing of heart for it all when my owl died. But this new husband, my Michael, you know, how was I going to tell him I needed to make such a big change in our life so early in our marriage? Here was another person about to be impacted by the end of Nick's IEP. Him, me, Nick. I promised Michael there would be no, well, Ricky, can I have my allowance to buy a new hat? I had saved money. I had downsized. And I had put away a pretty healthy retirement plan that I could draw on eventually. Plus, I could still teach part-time. I'd been invited to work on a small grant. I'd gotten certified as a supports broker. I was an educational consultant. And so, you know, I knew I'd have a little pocket money. And, and, and now I'd have a lot of flexibility. So I retired. I quit. Whatever. I left. The first risk was my own. Would I be able to create a new path for myself without the anchor of a full-time job, not just for the money, you know, but for the relationships and the professional fulfillment? The next risk was Nick's. What kind of path would Nick be on after the IEP was over and all the entitlements of K-12 became things he'd have to qualify for? What was going to be expected of Nick? How many times had the school's transition coordinator told me about the great day program she had in mind for Nick? Like that was supposed to be his next move. That was his next assumed step. 
So when I said, nope, not the plan, I wondered, a little part of me wondered, like, was I being unrealistic? That when she said, I worry about Nick, did she know that I worried too? But worry wasn't going to get my son out into the world. Worry wasn't going to get my son a competitive job in his community. Worry wasn't going to eventually turn my condo into his condo with a friend and support staff. I'd have to give Nick a chance to live the type of expectations the world would have of him if he didn't have a disability, a job, opportunities to go places with me and without me, which is actually his preferred opportunity, opportunities to take care of himself without me, because I won't be here forever. I have to put Nick out into the world before I'm gone. I have to let him take risks, let him try things. I can have success, I mess up, and all the things we all do. I have to give my son the dignity of risk. Notice, you may already have noticed, that I started talking about Nick first, about my kids before I talked about myself. I think that that's natural, but I think it's even more pronounced when disability is part of your family story. Disability often changes the path of everyone in the family. How do we strike a balance supporting our loved ones as well as taking care of ourselves? That's the parallel path families and their loved ones with disabilities are on. And so I now have the questions that I told you about. These are the questions I'm going to ask my future guests. And since I am the first guest on the podcast, I'm going to ask them of myself. So Jerry, what did you do? What did you think about to get yourself emotionally prepared to support your loved one, to support Nick into adulthood? And when did you start thinking about it? Well, I started thinking about it, I mean, vaguely forever, but certainly at the point where we were at technically transition in the IEP. So we're talking, you know, 14 and Now people were focusing on it. It was in the IEP, new pages that had been empty for years. And so we were thinking about it and talking about it. And I started also thinking about it even more so after Al died, because I was suddenly, I remember, I do remember my first IEP meeting without Al and just being adrift. And so I started thinking about it even harder after Al died, because I knew that I was now, you know, at the helm. Of the whole thing. But what I did to sort of prepare myself emotionally was a lot of talking to people and a lot of listening. Um, Every conference, everything I could get to, every training I could take, I would, I took. And especially I was interested in learning more about planning tools. I had known about doing paths and I have loved them forever. I even do them with my classes. And with the life course tools, which is another way of sort of mapping out and planning out that transition to adulthood. So I'm a big fan of putting things on paper and that helped me. And it also kept me and keeps me um, accountable. Thanks, Jerry. So what do you wish you'd known before you started? Um, <laughs> a lot of things probably, but the, I think just to piggyback on what I just said, the strength of doing more person-centered planning and the strength of drawing on people. And one of the things that happened as in the last time we did a path 
in drawing on people is several people who we were sitting together with doing Nick's path. I said, you need a path too. And it's true. Thanks, Jerry. Tell me about a time you feel like you messed up or regretted what you did and how you handled it. Oh, just the one. <laughs> um, taking, well, for one thing, I'll give you my most recent slight foible here is I'm a little unbalanced with regard to um, what this retirement thing looked like because I thought you were supposed to work a bit less, but I find that I'm working plenty, which is a blessing. It's great. But I think I may have taken on too many jobs. I said yes to everything. And as much as I'm learning, I, I keep having to look over my shoulder and say, how am I doing with the Nick piece, which is why I left in the first place. So part of it for me is that need to keep balance and take time to reflect on what's happening right now with this, the very purpose I retired for. And Jerry, what is something you are the proudest of? Well, Jerry, I am proud of my making, being able to make it work without a full-time, classically full-time job. And even though academia is not quite a full-time job in the same way, it's one of those jobs. Teaching is always one where people think, oh, you have all this time off and you don't. You physically may not be in the building, but you are planning and planning and planning. Ask any teacher, professor, whatever. But making it work without a full-time job so that my brain was where I, where I wanted it to be, not just where it had to be and where I needed it to be. And I think the other thing I'm, I'm proudest of is that I feel as though little by little, but we did it. Um, we got through the death of my first husband and the children's dad. And although you never quite get over it, you learn to move forward. And I think in our, each in our own way, we are moving forward. Even when we slip back, we continue to move forward. And I feel like that's, I think he would be pleased. Thanks, Jerry. So what brings you strength? How do you take care of yourself? And what are some things you do to stay strong? Thank you for that question. Um, I draw a lot of strength from others, from my family, who's always there for me. Um, and from my faith, I try to be a person of faith and try to keep that a faith perspective. Um, and just, I don't know. I find that I don't know that I always need some great big vacation. I just need to make space in the day, make space in the week to just do something for myself. And it doesn't take long, but it has to be on the menu. Jerry, what resources do you recommend for those of us on our parallel path? I think I'm a big, again, I'm a big fan of person-centered planning. I'm a big fan of any kind of graphic organizer that helps you to see things that you're thinking. It puts your thoughts and your ideas onto paper or virtual, whatever, like the path, life course tools, et cetera. But another thing I think about is little mantras to get through the, the good times and the not so good times. And I had, I kind of started 2022 with a couple of them that I just say to myself more often. One of them is to find the good. And that's the good in what happens, the good in people. Um, another one, you have something to offer. And 
I have, you know, a lot of degrees and experience and things, but I still always feel like, you know, what do you have to say that anybody would listen to? And so thanks for the podcast, but I'd like to believe that I do have something to offer and it may be information or a listening ear, but I have something to offer. Don't take it personally. That's been my longest running mantra and probably the one I deal with the most and struggle with the most. But I do believe that most of us are just trying to get by. And and sometimes, you know, what we present to the world is the best we can present in the moment. Um, So if someone or something goes really at you, it may not have that much to do with you. And I find that if I really look, that that's almost always findable. Jerry, are you giving back? Are you showing up for others? And if so, how? Well, one of my new favorite ways to show up is for my daughter and my spiffy little granddaughter. She's a year and a half as I'm saying this to you. And they're down in Virginia. And, you know, she and her husband are busy with their lives and little one is growing up in a pandemic. So whenever I can get down there, I go down there and I help out. And um, so that's one. Supports brokering, which I do kind of formally and informally. And so I try to be there for my participants. And I find that when people ask me questions, I answer anyway, or I try to find someone who can. So I can't help myself. And then I also want to get back to volunteering. The last volunteering I did was at um, a COVID site where people were getting their vaccinations. And then the site closed and I wandered back away into life. And I'd like to get back out there and get back to giving back my, of my time. And Jerry, our last question, what's happening next on your parallel path or the path for you and your family member? As we speak, Jerry, this is one of my, this is one of my new challenges, but one of my favorite challenges, we are on the road to one of the things that we had talked about forever, which was, again, the condo idea of turning it into a place for Nick to live with supports. Because in my world, the idea of all of this is not that Nick ends up in his sister's basement when I'm gone. So we're trying something out that is a little, you know, dicey as the common law employer to try to make happen, but we're doing it. And Nick's, one of Nick's oldest friends has moved in and we are working on the staffing so that my husband and I can eventually move into our house in Delaware. And so you may hear more about that endeavor in future episodes, because I think it's going to be an interesting journey. Thanks, Jerry. You're welcome, Jerry. (laughs) And thank you for joining me on our Parallel Paths today. I hope you'll like and subscribe to our podcast. And I really hope you'll return to listen and learn more from stories of people like you and me and our loved one with a disability on our Parallel Paths. (laughs) 